1: I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And it feels like forever since we've done a watch, read, listen, but I know, I know. we did one in April, but now we we're did. just doing it at the end of the month. And I'm really excited to share some of the things I've chosen. And you have sort of a special watch, read, listen, which we'll do. My watch, read,
0: listen, yeah, it only consists of things I watched, Marjorie, because I was on a plane. I've been on planes nonstop the last two months. I mean, really, I have have been been, flying. I've been either in planes or driving. I've gone to let's see. I've gone to uh, Palm Springs. I went to Florida. I went to uh, Texas. I went to Duluth. I went to Ireland. That was all in the last seven weeks. It's just that's a lot. It's been nuts. So um, I've been spending a lot of time in the air. And while I have been reading books, I have also watched a ton of movies. My trip to and fro Ireland, I watched a total of seven movies plus a
1: comedy special. <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to read on planes. And I think a movie is just the it makes the time go so much faster. You have to do it. So it's so
0: luxurious too to just sit and watch a movie by yourself and not have to discuss with anyone else what you're watching, not have to feel like, oh, I really should be going to bed. Just like I'm just alone and I'm going to sit and watch tons of movies. So as we go through watch, read, listen, you have been also rounding out your media consumption by reading Uh and listening to uh, things and I've just been frying my brain with a tiny screen. So um, let's start with you, though. What have you been watching? And then I'll tell you about five of the seven movies I've consumed.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm really curious about your list, though, because I think it's always sort of an insight into a person what movies they choose when they don't have to mediate them like when it's (laughs) your pure choice so we're going to learn a lot about you when you tell us your five movie choices but for me what i'm so enjoying right now is the final season of ted lasso i think i have already cried three or four times i cried last night i think i've cried every episode wow Um, i know it's hitting me at a very sweet place i think but I love the show so much. And to me, I was thinking about it this morning. It really is. It it hits me in the same way that Schitt's Creek did. It's just sweetness. Mm-hmm. And with some complexity about relationships and some exploration of mental health, you know, all those sort of themes that were also a part of Schitt's Creek are, are very much in Ted Lasso. but. There's a lot of criticism online, if you care to go there, about the third season and the final season of Ted Lasso. And that it always bugs me because I think it's the job of a critic to critique. But it always bothers me because when you create things, it's so easy for other people to sit back and critique what you do. Yeah. And the minute you have to put yourself out there and create something, you have much more empathy, I think, for what creative people go through to deliver a product. Mm -hmm. And so when they're critiquing certain story arcs or they're critiquing the themes of the season or whatever, it's like, God, I always just put myself in the writer's room and think about what kind of pressure are they under? What kind of time pressure are they under? I mean, I felt this so much when I was producing my small little show in Arizona, But we had strict deadlines and a very, very tiny staff. I mean, I had, there were like three full-time people on that show and all these other students. And so when people would critique the show, you always wanted to explain, like, if you only knew what we were working with, like, you would be so proud of us. And so that's what I always try and, like, take to when I watch somebody's creative work is try and think about what are the circumstances under which they're creating something that yeah. having been said, I think the season, with its imperfections, is perfection. It's just, I think it's wonderful. So if you're looking for something happy or to make you feel good, if you haven't started watching it, go back. And I'm jealous that you get to start it from the beginning and and watch Ted Lasso. It's just lovely. It's lovely.
0: I'm excited to watch season three, and I'm glad to hear your Discussion about it because everybody else who's been watching it has been complaining about it and saying that season three is not great. And so I've been kind of sad about that because I loved season one and season two so much. And I've just been saving it. It is just, though, I think another example, how you called it imperfect perfection is what I love. I love those types of characters where we're just not in this black and white, you're good or bad kind of situation anymore. It's, it's complex and everybody has good and everybody has bad and not everybody is, is just one way or the other. And the more you start looking at people like that, the more I think you can empathize with people in general and the more that you can understand people with different points of view and, um, and you can enjoy
1: life a little bit more. It's just more interesting. There are two episodes, um, Ian's being very patient with me because three of the episodes I've watched two or three times just because I'm so interested in how they are working through the characters. And I'm interested Mm -hmm. in the writing just because that interests me. So I'll go back and watch it just for different things that I'm trying to understand about the process. But there are two episodes that if they put them forward for an Emmy, which isn't the be all and end all of anything, but it is a standard if they there are two episodes that if they submit them for an Emmy I am sure they are going to do beautifully again in the Emmys they are that good they are that sweet complicated they they go for so much and they achieve it that mm-hmm. I don't know how they couldn't win yeah so it's it, whoever's i mean people criticize shows like that because of what they want out of the end. I'm more interested in what the creators want out of the end than what I want out of the end. And so it's, it's good. It's really good. good. I don't, don't hesitate. I think you're going to love it and give yourself space to watch it because it demands that it's worth Mm -hmm.
0: it. Oh, that's so good. I love that.
1: Okay, are you ready for a movie marathon?
0: Yes. Here you go, Marjorie Punnett. Okay, I am going to just share five with you, even though (laughs) I am reminded that I watched another one. Maybe I'll tell you about that one too. And then I watched (laughs) another one last night. Anyway, I'm on a real movie binge. It's good. It's summer. When I was was on the flight to Ireland, um, I watched two movies in a row, and then I had to do a major palate cleanser because I found myself so deeply depressed that I barely even knew how to function. I watched The Whale with Brendan Fraser, and then I watched the movie Women Talking. I watched oh. them back to back, which oh. I am going to say to you,
1: Don't do that. is
0: a terrible idea. It was mm. so bad. So if you haven't seen The Whale, I mean, Brendan Fraser won so many awards for it. It's based on a play. It is the story of um, a man who... Um, I don't want to give too much away. He is a a reclusive, obese professor. And he is really in dire straits in terms of his health. And it's an interesting movie. I was talking with, um, we have a movie critic on Twin Cities Live. His name is Paul McGuire Grimes. So often I'll tell him, he was number one, he was very proud of me when he heard that I'd watched seven movies. So I got a (laughs) little street cred with him, which was great. But then we were talking a little bit um, the other day about The Whale. And he had an interesting perspective because he struggled, has struggled with his weight, struggled with obesity and struggled with sort of the graphic nature and the way that he felt the creators of the movie um, sort of exploited the weight issue to make it feel really kind of demeaning and mm. and gross to be quite honest. And I understood that perspective and at the same time I also thought that what it was really showing was Brendan Fraser's character being a fully imprisoned by his body. And how a multitude of choices and situations can lead to that situation right. when you're when you are imprisoned yeah. by your body but what your life is like when your body is no longer serving you. It is fully hindering you. I mean, yeah. it's, it was keeping him alive. So in that basic way, it is serving him. But in terms of living a life, it you was, you can't, you can't, it was very dark. It was very depressing. The one thing about it was that I found no character really likable. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, I can't, I can't. Everyone. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, Did you watch this on the plane? I watched it on the plane and it was like the middle of the night. I was just like, oh my gosh, I know. Um, But, you know, it won a lot of awards and you can see why. And I think if you, if you want to see a movie, it takes place in one apartment, like one apartment, the entire film. And it is deep and it is emotional. Um, It's, I think it's worth watching but I just want you to be emotionally prepared for what you go into. And then I watched the movie Women Talking and Women Talking was unbelievable. Have you seen this film? No,
1: but that won a lot of awards as well. Yes.
0: So Women Talking has, I mean, I can't even list the cast of Amazing Women because, and it's about this group of women who are living in like a very isolated Mennonite community. And it's based on a true story on um, a group of women. I believe it was in Bolivia where this, where this happened. That's right. That's right. It was this community. And what was happening is that the men had figured out how to take a cow tranquilizer and put it in a vessel that they were able to get into the windows of the bedrooms of the women and the girls, they would blow the, they would turn the cow tranquilizer into a gas by pumping it through, you know, like a sprayer, a nozzle. The women would then, when they were sleeping, would be basically unconscious and unable to move. They would be tranquilized when they would breathe it in. And then the men and the boys would go in and brutally assault the women. And the women would wake up and they would be bloodied and bruised. I mean, this is graphic, but it's terrible and bruised. And then the men would tell them that it was the devil who assaulted them in the middle of the night. And the women couldn't figure out what was going on. And then they would be impregnated. And it was like oh my God. this crazy thing. So of course, then I went down this deep, dark rabbit hole about reading about the true story and reading about, um, how it is still a real struggle to get information because this community is so isolated. And, um, and what happens in the movie at the very beginning is you see the men some of the women were able to catch some of the boys in the act, like of coming up to the bedroom and spraying this. And then the whole thing like blew up. They were like, it's not the devil. It's you guys doing this. And so the men took the ones who'd been named and, and turned them into the police and said, by the time they came back, that the women needed to, to, to forgive these men and boys and they needed to move on. And the premise of women talking is all of them sitting and discussing, are they going to fight? Are they going to forgive? Or are they going to flee? And leave. And they're talking throughout the whole thing and discussing, um, Hmm. what they're going to end up doing. And then you see what they end up choosing at the end as a collective group. It is so intense and so dark, but also just, you know, I always talk about this. Like, I just think that you, you, when you look at other like true stories like this, where it has been so bad to be a woman, I mean, it just makes you so grateful for where you are in history and and how you get to live your life. It's Well, in this country,
1: in this country anyway. Mm -hmm. And for a time, although we would have to say, you know, depending on your political feelings about who has the right to a woman's body, what is worth fighting for in terms of retaining your own rights to your own body? Mm -hmm. In this country now, we can take for granted the rights that we have until you're in a position where it's been taken away from you. And I think for, you know, a generation of girls, there were certain things that were just, it always was for them. It always was. And now those, some of those rights are being taken away. And I think that's why I think that movie, there was a lot of talk about that movie at the time, because it was about looking at where women have been, where women have found themselves, where women may find themselves in situations where they don't have agency. I saw a lot of the press about that, I think, when it came out. And I should watch it. I have, I don't know, lately. It's I hard just, to watch. But, yeah. And and I don't think it's terribly responsible of me to just avoid things that make me feel bad. <laughs> But well, hence you gotta watch out for your own. Yeah. You gotta watch hence... out for your
0: own. You have to know your mental yeah. state. This was in 2010, by the way, this was in 2010 That's happened. Yeah.
1: Right. That's crazy. I know. That's, oh my gosh.
0: I mean, so when you think of like what, <sighs> what the world looks like, but Claire Foy is in it. Rooney Mara. Francis McDormand. It's an amazing cast. It's And it's they all really... talked
1: about how being in the movie, how powerful it was for them as women to be in the movie. Yeah. And directed by a woman as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. Okay. okay if you want something a little bit light, I, I watched I just, 80 for Brady I just as don't well. Think
1: that, hold on. I just don't think that was a good strategy for the flight to Ireland. I just don't. But Both of those in a row? It was a yeah, terrible I, idea.
0: <laughs> then I watched a Nate Bargazzi comedy special just because I needed to laugh because I was yes. like, I need to find some joy in the world. Yes. It was terrible. I, I did then watch, um, on the way back, I watched a couple of depressing movies, but then also a fun one, 80 for Brady, which was fun. I mean, it was just silly. It was ridiculous. It was over the top. It was like unnecessary to consume, but I will tell you what I did really like about it. I also watched the movie. Maybe I do with Diane Keaton and Susan Sarandon in 80 for Brady you know, it's Jane Fonda. It's the whole crew that are just so good. But what I'm loving about these movies is I really love the representation of women in their seventies and eighties who are living full, sexy, fun, exciting lives. Yeah, They're not skating over the issues that come along with getting older and the complications that come along with that. I mean, those are all included. There's mortality. There's a feeling of like, why am I still searching for love at this age? And is it even worth it? Right. There are um, financial complications. But at the same time, like I was so overseeing every woman represented on in movies being like 30 and like right. men who are in their 60s, like the the movie Maybe I Do with Diane Keaton, Susan Sarandon, Richard Gere and William H. Macy actually represents age equal marriages which is so impossible to oh, find in movies yeah. I mean it's like every guy who's 65 or 70 is married to a 40 year old in a right. movie <laughs> right and I'm not saying that that's like I have I have friends who have relationships where there's a 20 year age difference that's fine but what happens so consistently in movies is that the women uh, of 50 60 plus are erased they're erased or they're painted as like just these old, miserable people. And yeah. I just refuse to believe that that is the situation for a lot of women. So in both of those movies, which both of them were just ridiculous, but it was like, they're having fun. And and that's fun.
1: Well, you know, the, I'm looking it up real quickly. It was the series. Yeah. It's Grace and Frankie. Yeah. The Lily Tomlin, Jane yep. Fonda series that was that on Netflix? I think that was Netflix. Mm. I didn't love it, but I watched it sort of as an act of like, I want I want this to be a popular show mm-hmm. for exactly the reasons you're talking about, is this idea of, it was really fun to watch two, you know, it was sort of a caper comedy. You know, it was yeah. two women doing ridiculous things and having fun while doing it. And it's a pretty decent series. It's just not like my, it wouldn't be my go-to, but I, yeah. I loved that they did it. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you one of the things, one of the people who, had sort of an influence on my life as I have been aging. And it was interesting to me in my forties, when I felt older in my forties, I've always felt old. Like mm-hmm. in my thirties, I felt old. In my forties, I felt old. It's like, it's, I think like now I'm just coming to grips with like, now it's you your really, soul. You really are old. But one of the great things I got to do when I lived in Minnesota was interview Diane Keaton.
0: Yeah, I remember. This is like a highlight for you.
1: Such a highlight because I got to have on stage with Diane Keaton, a 45 minute conversation, just the two of us Mm -hmm. being watched by a lot of people. But it was so great because she walked out. She had on this great big skirt that was cream with black polka dots. She still wears it. I'll see it pop up. She had on a black turtleneck, um, which, of course, that was like a woman yeah, after yeah. my own heart
0: speaks to your it speaks <laughs> to your old soul that you have inside of you That's right.
1: black <laughs> nail polish a great hat yeah and she just in these great like clompy kind of boots leather boots i mean she just looked fantastic and we just had the best time and we, i had the best time but we laughed and it was fun and she was very kind after the after the show. you know she was very mm-hmm. kind to me and was very sweet. and she's like, "I wish I could take you on the road with me." And it was like, oh my god, i would I would leave everybody and just go <laughs> on the road with you." um and I remember I had a friend at Macy's at the time, and I went to her and I said, "You've got to talk to whoever you can talk to. This woman needs to do a clothing line." For oh elderly. yeah, yeah, And she sort of ran it up sort of the sort of the tentpole to sort of see and there was really it didn't really go anywhere and now diane keaton just did a uh, she's doing like a special collection for she's one of the faces of j crew mm. and but this is why it's it's so important for women to still care about like their clothes they don't have to dress like a 20 year old but just right. care about like what you are because it makes you feel good yeah so i think you're right seeing women i didn't watch 80 for brady and i probably should Just because, again, I want the numbers to be where they should be for those kind of movies. So more of them will be made. But I think I do think it changes our perception of what it means to be older when movies start to change the perception of what it means to be older.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fun. I mean, it's silly and ridiculous and just fun. And so that's that's the thing about it. Um, Okay, two more. And then I promise I will stop talking about the things that I've watched. I did watch the movie Belfast on my way home from Ireland. What do you think? because I was in Belfast, it was slow and it was beautiful. All of us, I talked to a lot of people who were in Ireland with me, who'd either watched the movie on the way there or on the way home. And they felt the same thing. They wanted more context in terms of the conflict. I think that was maybe because we were literally just leaving Belfast. Like we had been in Belfast for the, the week. And so we wanted to know more about that. And I felt like the movie actually, I think might've had a little bit more impact if they would have widened the scope just slightly from just this one family to what was actually going on in Belfast. Because if you didn't go into that movie, understanding the conflict, you would have a difficult time sort of gathering what is going on here and why the tensions
1: you might not understand. And then, and then
0: the people's, um, the people's dedication to that community. I don't know. Right. Um but Jamie Dornan is a hot like fire guy. I mean, holy buckets. Great. And <laughs> that was pleasant <laughs> to watch. Um Yes it is. But, yes, and yes, and it then is. the child in the movie was just unbelievable. So it is about the conflict in Northern Ireland and it is about one particular family and essentially right. their decision of what are they going to do? Are they going to stay amidst uh the troubles and amidst all of the violence that is happening? Um, and what do you do in terms of um, seeing your community really turn into something that you don't even recognize? Which you um, don't want to be a part of, and that you don't want to be a part of. And then it was another reminder of in that conflict, you know, which I think you see in so many other conflicts. You go, well, how how couldn't you like be middle of the road? There was no middle of the road, right. and it's difficult right. now to even be middle of the road. I mean, you are either Catholic or you are Protestant. You are one side or the other, and being middle of the road gets you you've got a target on your back from both sides because the extreme nature of either side will not tolerate that.
1: Well, that's interesting that you say that because I think that's a cautionary tale for all of us Mm -hmm. Um, is that we all lose something as a culture and as a society when we don't allow the middle to exist and flourish. The Um, middle has to be everything. The middle
0: has to be, and it might feel less um, efficient like, okay, things don't get done. It takes forever for things for the needle to move because you've got this middle. But, like, you can't be on the extreme all the time. I will like really, it's just very difficult. and that's where we are right now, yeah, so that's and I thought
1: extreme. what I thought was interesting about the movie was it felt very because I think what you're saying is is really fair to Belfast to the movie. But what it felt like and when I was trying to think through how I felt about it, it felt just very personal. Mm -hmm. So it's Kenneth Branagh's movie, and it just felt like he was just making the movie that was a reflection of his experience. And so it didn't have to widen out. It didn't have to do all those things. Is it a failure for the movie overall? Maybe. I mean, I I don't know. But I think that's how, like, I came to, like, peace with that. But I think you're exactly right. I think actually what's helpful in watching that movie is, like, doing a little research before you watch it. Totally. Because because then I think you can appreciate sort of the memoir nature of the movie. I also Um, understand why he's not
0: going into the conflict too much. Because, like, you know, to go full circle and kind of say what I wished would have been in the movie. But then while I understand why it wasn't, it's right. because it's so freaking complicated. Mm-hmm. It's so freaking complicated. And it's not even as simple as like one side versus another, because then there's like other factions and all these different things. Right. But, right. um, but I do think it's a reminder that like the middle has to show strength too. the, right. the middle cannot be passive. And, um, you know, I we think have that's, these- I
1: think that's really interesting what you just said, because I think we need the extremes. I, I think I'm going to take that back. I strike that a (laughs) hundred percent. Needing the extremes is not what we need. I think people's voices need to be heard. Mm -hmm. But I think when when it comes at the expense of allowing the middle to exist, is that's when you get into dangerous territory. And that's when you get into situations that can be so violent, that can be so um and so I think that that, that's interesting. I would really like to go to Northern Ireland. Oh my gosh. I I would like to understand that better. It was
0: very, um, it was really impactful for me. Um, okay. And then uh, the other movie that I watched, um, on the plane, I think there was another one too, but I can't remember all of them. Anywho (laughs) was, um, Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. And this was the Whitney Houston biopic. It is widely criticized. Clive Davis was deeply involved in the movie. I think he was one of the producers on the movie. He is, you know, 92 years old. He, um, was very, very close with Whitney and, um, spoke to her just a couple of days before she died. And this biopic really delves into her relationship with her best friend, Robin, and is talks about the romantic nature of their relationship before she Hmm. got her record deal. And in the movie, shares that she Whitney ended that romantic relationship right um as she got the record deal because the record company was just like this isn't going to work for you to be a lesbian hate to right. break it to you like yeah, i mean it's just not going to work that was the time and so what they had to do in terms of her and her life and how she shot to stardom there were a couple things that i thought were interesting too these these movies that i always love to like dig into the real story after but you know, her mother is still alive, Sissy. And so her mother is portrayed beautifully in the movie. Mm. There is like one harsh scene where Sissy is hard on Whitney in terms of like, if you want to be a singer, this is what you have to do and hard up. But the rest of it just shows her like adoring Whitney and being, you know, just so proud of her and Sissy being the breadwinner in, in the household and then portrays the father who's passed away as an absolute, just terrible- money hungry. They show one scene where he's handing out credit cards to all of the people who are on staff. And of course, who's footing the bill for that credit card? It's all right. Whitney and that he's burned through all of her money and he's demanding more money. Was it true? I think a lot of, I think it was true, but again, I think it was a little bit more complex than that. Than that. I, I don't doubt that the dad is probably portrayed accurately. I don't think Sissy is probably portrayed accurately. No one is that wonderful. It's, she's, she's alive. And so it makes it more complicated. And then, but Bobby Brown, of course he's portrayed as horrendous, which I think their relationship was very toxic. But when you look at Whitney and the gift that she had, they really let the music just shine and go. And so it was such a reminder for me of just how incredible her voice is. I mean, she, she was the voice of a generation. Yeah. And the music they they uh, you can tell Clive Davis is involved because he just lets it's not just like a clip of her performing a song. It's the whole whole performance. Right. Do they dub in
1: Whitney's voice?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yes, because there's no way that this but this actress who played her was like was amazing. Yeah, she was amazing. When you think about the pressures that come with that, it's it's so fascinating how like the older I get, the more I think what a curse that type of fame is it is i i cannot in any way think that that is a great way to live your life i mean you have access to everything but you are in a gilded cage the whole time that you are living i and there's so much management and people who are trying to get something from you and you become this corporation i the idea of maintaining a normal functional like just brainwave, I think is, I, I think it is nearly impossible for a human, one human being to accomplish.
1: Well, well, I think what is for sure true is that at that level, if you don't have your mental health sort of, if you don't really know who you are, if you're not solid, it's going to destroy you.
0: And if you became famous that young, how do you know who you are? Well, and exactly. then at the very beginning, you're forced to deny a big part of who you are. And I don't know if she was a lesbian or bisexual or what, but she right. was forced to make a choice about who she wanted to be with based on what other people would think. That's a problem. I mean, there right. you're you're right there forced in, in to be inauthentic to who you are? And is it any wonder that you find the desperate need to self-medicate throughout the rest of your life?
1: Well, and I think the key is too, is how, what does your role become within your own family when you're a young star? I always think about, and I, I had watched this like two years ago, I'd watched Ron Howard's masterclass. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, Ron Howard was on the Andy Griffith show, which if you've ever seen that from ages and ages from the sixties, but Ron Howard was like, when he started on that show and then was on Happy Days. I mean, had a long, long career and then became a pretty fabulous director. And I've seen interviews with him. And a lot of being able to navigate that kind of fame and that kind of longevity comes from a really strong family and what they need from you. And I think what throws things off kilter, I mean, if you think of all the child stars, what really gets in their way is when the families, when they become the main breadwinners, when they become the center of attention within their own family, when they, all of those things. I mean, think about the child actors and actresses that had to like disassociate themselves from their own family. Drew Barrymore actually has given some really interesting interviews about having to just detach herself. She emancipated herself from her mother because her mother was toxic to her.
0: Macaulay she, Culkin.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many. And so you think about, you know, when you're talking about Whitney, like, what, how did she come to that fame? And what's, you know, sort of what was her mental health when she got there? And then what happens around her? It's sort of, I look at that and I just remember, I can't remember the name of the reality show that Whitney Houston did with Bobby Brown. But I remember watching one episode. This had to be in the 90s. Does mm-hmm. that seem
0: right? Yeah. And yeah, Whitney Houston,
1: who I was a fan of, because her voice is amazing. Yeah. In the and this is my memory, so if it's faulty, I'm sorry. But in my memory, she was like in the bathroom, going to the bathroom, and it was just awful. Everything about it was awful. And i I never watched. I never watched it again because I just thought I don't want to. Like I don't want to be a part of supporting seeing this. And I'm not saying that makes me so special. It was just like, it just made me so sad mm-hmm. because it was clearly somebody who was not in control of themselves. Right. And and that's hard to watch somebody go through that publicly. I mean, we've all seen it happen to, you know, whether it's Britney Spears or we've seen it happen to so many people, but I'm not a fan of watching the train wreck. It's heartbreaking. No,
0: no. I think that was what was heartbreaking about, about the movie too. I also felt like while they've talked about in this movie the drug use and um and the chaos, I don't think that it was accurately like I think it was rose-colored glasses, and I think it was out of you know out of respect for her and Clive Davis right. loved her, and so it's difficult to be really realistic. But yeah. what that meant to her child, I mean, mm. Bobby Christina never had a chance, never, yeah. not a not a chance. I mean, yeah.
1: that's, I that's I don't tough. doubt
0: that Whitney Houston loved her daughter, but I think the true the truth of the chaos and the abandonment um, that was happening within that relationship, I don't think was portrayed, but it's still, I don't know. It just makes you want to listen to more Whitney though. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's so talented. Was great. So anyway, that's all the movies that I watched. Tell me what you are reading and um, listening to since you are a more well rounded media consumer than I have been the last few well, weeks.
1: I just got to say on the main, that's a pretty sad list. It wasn't great for me to do mentally. No. <laughs> No,
0: it wasn't. It wasn't but, at all. Was but ridiculous. I also
1: see that it's a list of movies that I can see why you probably leaned that way because this would be a list of movies that if it had to be vetted or voted on by committee, the committee would say, No, we're not watching that. Do you know what I mean? So you oh, had free yeah. agency to just watch yeah. whatever you wanted. So I yeah. get that.
0: Yeah, it was um, a, it was a dark, it was dark 14 hours in the air. <laughs>
1: I read these books because they were on my class list to read, and I'm really grateful that I read them. And I thought I should recommend them because um, I'm studying children's literature. So this is great if you've got kids. These are great summer books for your kids. So Ooh, this good. is really about if you want, um, and they may not, you may not know about them. Uh, the first one is Legendborn. It's by Tracy Dion. It's YA fantasy. But we're doing, in the class that I was in, there's and in my program in general, there's a lot of talk about diversity in literature, mm-hmm. which for a lot of years, they big surprise, there was not. Right, And so there's a real push for um, having books where children can see themselves reflected in the characters, which mm-hmm. is so important if you think about it. Well, of course, they need, you know, people, kids need to see themselves. What's cool about Legendborn, it's for 12, 12 and up, really, and 12 if you've got a like an advanced reader. Yeah. So it's 12 and up, but the heroine is African-American. She's a, a very bright, young girl that is in, she's 16 or 17, but is already at Chapel Hill. She's already in college. It's really interesting, and it's sort of a take on King Arthur's legend, and I won't go okay. into it much more than that, but very interesting, pulls in some real social consciousness, which I think is good in, in, in a really natural sort of interesting ways. So if you've got a, a a young reader like I probably would have, I could have read this book to the kids when they were a little bit younger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've got a reader who you know likes to curl up in the corner, this definitely would be a good book for the summer—a preteen reader or a teen a teen reader. It's it's really well written. It's a great story. I mean, I kind of couldn't put it down. So it's oh, really that's good. fun. Yeah, The Marvelers is another book. This is very much like Harry Potter, but the main character is a girl and she's Ooh. an African American girl. And okay, so great. it's um it's very sweet. It's um by Danielle Clayton. Again, YA fantasy. I think 10 to 13 on this one unless you have a really advanced reader again. I think you could go a little younger than 10 but probably not much. But okay. this one you could definitely like I would have read this to the kids. I could have read this to the kids easily when they were when they were, you know, 8 or 9. Oh, um, great. Yeah. I, I mean, this is something that Bernie Yeah. Uh, she could I don't know how, what grade is she in again.
0: Second, she's just yeah, finishing no, is, second grade.
1: Yeah, this is this. She isn't ready for this, but <laughs> but in a couple of years, in a couple of years, those are the two things I had to read for the end of the semester. But I would encourage anybody to get either of those books because they're just they're they're imaginative, they're interesting, and again, it's just nice to have some diversity in the characters that your kids read.
0: I think it's, it's a important. fun idea too, like that young adult stuff for parents to read it too. I mean, yeah. Like, have a conversation about it and have and be, be reading the same thing. And you can bust through a young adult book in probably, you know, one night.
1: Well, I would say Legendborn, and this is quite the conversation, like when you're talking about diverse books, that diverse books are just as important for white people as they are for people of color. Oh, for sure. I mean, sure. it's just, and so I think what's interesting is some of the, some of the issues that come up, particularly in Legendborn, because it's for older readers, are great conversation starters that if you're a parent and you're reading this with your kids... There are issues in this book that are just really great conversation starters for talking about um, African American history in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a way to sort of it's 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 fiction, but it 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 opens that door for the conversation in a really healthy way. I think mm-hmm. for families in general. So that's it's, great. They're good. They're really good. So that's what I was reading in the last month.
0: Fabulous. Okay. And then what are you listening to? Since I'm oh, that's listening right. to you nothing.
1: don't have you have you don't have anything else.
0: I did listen to I think I'm listening to a few things on Audible, but you know, it's it's a whole thing right now. It's a whole thing.
1: Well, I'm here's just, what I'm listening to and read. Yeah. So I had I had to read for class, but I was so glad to read it again. Um, Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Mm. So I actually read that for class, but also listened to it simultaneously because it was on Audible. Neil Gaiman reads it. Oh fun. Which is wonderful. And I don't know if you know this, that he lives outside of Minneapolis. No. Oh my gosh! We're we gonna get him on Twin Cities Live. Good luck with that. Okay, he's very Look, hard to book. It? Okay, but okay. I would highly encourage you to try and find him because he's fascinating. I would after I was reading Coraline, I was doing all these like a deep dive on all of these interviews. Have you ever read Coraline?
0: No, I've just seen the movie.
1: Okay, the book. I mean, it's. I looked it up on Wiki because I was just trying to figure out how to describe it. They describe it as dark horror fantasy. Yeah, and they, it's a it is sh-
0: it is it's a children's it, book. I know. Well, the movie is scary. I mean, when I watched the movie, I was like, whoa. Yeah.
1: But it's great. It's a great read. And that's one that if your kids lean toward horror and some kids do, um, that would be a great one to read with them. I would say um, I was looking at the age. I looked up what age it was appropriate for. They said 10 and up. And I would say that's probably about right. I probably wouldn't. I probably would go younger with Coraline, but it was such a, it was so great to listen to it Yeah. Um, because he's a great storyteller. So it was just fun. I would listen to it before I go to bed. Um, oh, that'd be
0: fun to have the kids listen to it though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you're with them, because it's mm-hmm. scary. It's oh, it's gosh. scary. And it's got some scary sounds in it.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
1: So it's good. It's good. And that's on Audible. And then I've just started again because I think she has a new cookbook out and we need to rebook her, but I've just started re-listening to Give a Girl a Knife. Oh, Amy Thielen. By Amy Thielen. Doesn't yeah. she have a new book out?
0: She was working on a new book the last time I talked to her. And so I should I think look it's up. Out. And it was on entertaining. Um oh yeah, it's out. Oh my gosh, why don't I have this yet? It's called Company. I knew that this was what she was right. So out. can you
1: can you rebook her for us?
0: Yeah, I totally can. Oh yeah. Amy's so good. She she calls it company, the radically casual art of cooking for others is the name of her new Isn't book. That fun? Oh, it's on pre-order. That's why I'm like, why have I not gotten this across my (laughs) desk yet? What
1: is (laughs) happening?
0: What is happening? Oh gosh. I'm going to, I'm going to put somebody on, um, making sure that we get this. The release date is August 29th.
1: Okay. So So it's not coming out
0: until the end of the summer. Um, but Amy Thielen is a chef. She's been on the podcast before. Yep. Um, she's a wonderful writer. And I loved her memoir, uh, "Give a Girl a Knife," about her time cooking in New York, and um, it's so and then and the Decision to come back to Minnesota.
1: I started reading it again, or started. I actually, she reads it on Audible. She does. Oh, the, she does great. the voice on Audible, and she's yeah. so. Um, she is just one of those very friendly voices. It's a very yeah. comforting book. Like mm-hmm. so, it's just a very. And so i threw the first chapter again, and and I'm just loving it as much as I loved it the first time. So
0: it's so good, and if yeah. in her cookbook the new Midwestern table. If you don't have that, um, her original one, it is, I mean, it's a love letter to Midwestern food and it is so beautiful and it's so well done. And she just does such a great job. I don't know. You know, I think like she, she, she has a beautiful way of like embracing the kitschy nature that is Midwestern, you know, sort of like, um, church potluck
1: right cuisine
0: and then and then making it better and great without having
1: disdain for what it is you know what I mean That's beautifully said because I think now that you said that and described it in that way which I would 100% agree with I think it's because at the core of it she loves community Mm -hmm. and it all represents community and so to to sort of have any disdain for it would be would be to disdain the connections that these things create Right. And she just respects that so much. At least that's how, that's the feeling I get, you know, her better than I do, but that's the feeling I get from her.
0: There is a beauty to the native nature of her, you know, of just, right. Right. It really is. And, and not even, not even living in the twin cities. Like she lives four hours away. She does come to the twin cities to get her hair done. You know, <laughs> I'm always like, Amy, when can I visit you?
1: Oh, did I tell you?
0: I have an you- open invitation.
1: Did I tell you what I did to my hair? mm. What? On a whim. What? I was passing a um super cuts in okay. Chicago. And yeah. supercuts is fine. Um for sure. Fine. But my haircut was not fine.
0: Well, you have complicated hair too. Like I do. you have naturally it, you have red hair, which means that you have a fiery personality.
1: <laughs> yes. But Elizabeth, they cut. I've never had somebody cut like the hair around my face in a square. Mm. It was, it was really, and so I went to get it fixed and the hairdresser was so kind. I was like, I've just never had a haircut quite like this. And he's like, well, they just didn't structure it quite right. Oh, that was a kind way to say very that. Nice. It was very nice. So it was fixed. So it,
0: that reminds me of the little girl who was sitting in front of me at Franklin's little school graduation this morning. Mm-hmm. And it was very clear that she had taken a scissors to her own bangs. <laughs> And the mom, they had four kids. It was like a really cute mom and dad. I mean, I didn't, I don't know them, but their child, their son was in Frankie's class. And so, and she, they have a baby who looked like the baby was like four or five months old. I mean, it was like a little baby. And then they had all these other kids and the oldest, I mean, really got aggressive about the cutting of the bangs and, um, long? super short. I mean, like an inch and maybe two inches, and so really, and and the little girl has beautiful thick hair, right? And so then that kind of makes it worse right. <laughs> because oh if it's like thick hair it and it's it just that much straight out, it's so much, you know. Oh my god! Like if you have fine wispy hair like me, you probably wouldn't even notice, but with right. her, it was like, oh wow.
1: Oh, that's adorable. That's never know gonna... what
0: direction we're going to go on these podcasts, Marjorie?
1: No. Well, it's just when you said Amy Thielen comes to the Cities to get her haircut, having just had a bad one, I realized <laughs> I would drive miles and miles and miles to get a good haircut. And I finally found a hairdresser in Kansas City. So I will be driving from now on to Kansas City to get my haircut.
0: So, that sounds very good. Yes, well, there I'm you very, go.
1: It's resolved. I love it. I love it. If
0: you're enjoying this podcast, which we hope you are, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review
1: at Apple podcast, share with your friends, find us on Facebook and Instagram at best to the nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.